0: This episode of Accelerate is brought to you in part by Discover.org. Looking to close four times as many deals in half the time? Discover.org's industry-leading, human-verified sales intelligence gives you all of the data and insights like direct dials, org charts, planned projects, verified emails, and executive moves. You need to stop wasting time on research and spend more time talking to the right decision maker with the right message at the right time. Their team of 250-plus sales researchers do all the work so that you don't have to. 2,500 companies are already using Discover.org to win more deals. So check them out at www.discoverorg.com. That's (laughs) www.discoverorg.com. It's time to Accelerate. Hey, friends, this is Andy. Welcome to Episode 549 of Accelerate, the sales podcast of record where I hold in-depth conversations with today's leading experts in sales, marketing, and leadership six days a week. So join me on the show today, all the way from Australia, is Hugh McFarlane. Hugh the originator of The Buyer's Journey, author of The Leaky Funnel, and founder and CEO of Align.me. And in today's episode, we're going to talk about the investments you can make in your marketing team that will increase your revenues and really dramatically improve your close rates. And we we'll are talking about how the timing of making those investments in improving your marketing effectiveness also influence your ultimate sales attainment. So it's a very interesting conversation. Now, if you'd like to see the show notes for this episode, in case you're listening to the episode, missed something, or go back, prefer to it, go to andypaul.com forward slash 549. You'll get there your timestamp breakdown of this and all the conversations on Accelerate. And in case you missed it at the beginning of the show, this episode is brought to you by our great partner, Discover.org, the Discover.org platform, is a game-changer for sales marketing and staffing professionals. The feature-rich sales intelligence platform is supported by 250-plus researchers who continually update contact data and provide account-specific insight to help sales and marketing teams break ahead of the pack. So see the product live at discoverorg.com forward slash schedule hyphen demo. Over the last couple weeks, I've been talking about a new report I just produced. It's based on the input of Well, well over 300 leading sales experts, people I interviewed right here on this show. And this report is all about what you can do to amp up and accelerate your sales right now. And so you might be surprised what these experts recommend to be the first thing you should do to get your sales back on track. The report is free. Go to accelerate.fm forward slash accelerate to get your copy right now. So let's get into it. Hugh McFarlane, welcome to Accelerate. You're very welcome, Andy. Thank you
1: for having me along.
0: Well, thank you for waking up early on the other side of the world from where I am today. I mean, almost literally the other side of the world. I'm in New York, my New York studio today, and you're in your Melbourne, Australia studio or offices. So very early in the morning. Thank you for waking up early.
1: It's my pleasure, and thank you for staying late, Andy.
0: <laughs> Actually, it's uh, yeah, it's it's not even that late yet uh, compared to some days. So, so I got a question for you. A standard question. I ask all my guests to open the show, and this question is. In your opinion, what's the single biggest challenge facing sales reps today?
1: They very frequently will will want to tell a story that the customer isn't ready to hear yet. And and I mean that in a very broad sense. Uh, I'm going into a meeting right now. I'm a sales rep. I'm well prepared. And there's something I just really want to tell the customer at this time. Mm-hmm. Very frequently, we get that out of whack. And because our buyers are so self-directed these days, um, you know the, the numbers that get talked of often, you've heard them, you've used them yourself. I'm sure the 70% of the buyer's journey is complete before <laughs> the, the prospect wants to engage with salespeople. Um, if that's only half true, it's still an issue. And so the salesperson wants to say or tell something to the prospect that they're just not kind of ready for. And so the biggest challenge, I think, is knowing exactly what concept the buyer has right now and therefore what I should be saying or asking in this meeting. I think that's our biggest challenge because largely of that self-directed buying.
0: So when you use the term concept there, tell us what you
1: meant. I'm stealing a little from Millerheim and the sales mm-hmm. training company sure. um, and conceptual selling. but basically what's the idea they have in their head? are they, are they trying to um, make some improvement to their business? are they trying to fix a problem? Are they trying to save their job? What, what's in their head right now? and what do I need them to have in their head at the end of this meeting? And whilst that's always been a, a challenge, an issue, a focus for salespeople, um, I, I think that the self-directed um, buying makes it a whole lot harder today than it was 15 years ago.
0: Well, what particular part harder? Because this is and I'll, I'll tell you why because this is a, a topic I've been working on recently.
1: The, the the knowing. So your your opening question was what, what is what mm-hmm. is the biggest challenge mm-hmm. that stuff people mm-hmm. face? And I think it's it's not knowing how to ask questions. We always needed to be good at that. It's knowing what the customer already thinks. You know, if you go if you go back far enough, you know, I'm I'm fifty-five and I started selling when I was twenty. So um, I I recall a time, it sounds like a real old guy now, but I I recall a time not even that long ago where the, the font of knowledge was the salesperson, and the buyer kind of expected the salesperson to know more about the product than anybody else did, and that's how you got your, your information. These days, most salespeople walk into conversations where the customer knows more about the product and its use case than the salesperson does. And so clearly the role has changed. You've talked about that before. Um, but I think the, the the consequence of that self-directed learning, and forgive me, I keep using that phrase, but you know it is That's that seventy the buyer's journey thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, if that is so, then just knowing what I should be asking, knowing what is already known prior to the meeting, and and salespeople often lack the signals that, you know, frankly, we're going to talk about sales marketing alignment, I'm sure, on this call, but frankly, marketing ought to be playing a better role. I'll give you a real quick example. Sure. But should be playing a better role of helping the sales guy know what it is that that customer's already thinking. If there's any truth to what I said, that the challenge is knowing what the customer's thinking, then what signals might we use to work that out? And marketing doesn't know all of it, but it knows a lot more than it's telling. If you think about all the clever marketing automation tools that track what people have opened and clicked on and pages that have been visited on your website, marketing often keeps that a nice secret. That information ought to be shared with the salesperson. So sales guy going into that same meeting I talked about before, knowing that recently prospect Andy Paul has just been on these three pages and he's got two colleagues who've been on those same two pages on the website. I've now got a few clues as to what's going on, and he, he, mm-hmm. Andy may not have declared that prior to the meeting. So marketing can help sales to know what's going on, um, by by sharing that knowledge, by surfacing that knowledge in the CRM.
0: Well, at least giving them signals that they can use to either confirm or or not that that is what the customer is thinking.
1: Exactly as you said, it, Andy, it's it, it's not it's not law, it's it's a good signal.
0: Right. So. How do we make sure that that happens? I mean, this is you know sort of the topic de jour. I was talking to someone even earlier today on another interview about this. Is how how do we get this alignment to really take hold? And you know, certainly we see sort of a forcing function in sort of sorts as people start adopting more of the account based marketing, account based selling. Uh, process which which dictates a, a certain degree of alignment if it's going to function well at all but you know the world exists outside ABM as well so how, how do in your experience you know how do you get customers how do you get companies to to align around this you know working together
1: when when I wrote the leaky funnel Andy it was um, 2003 published 2004 and the the journey described uh, as you know you've read the book it's a it's a novel and mm-hmm. so it's Uh, the story of a CEO kind of trying to discover the answer to the question you just posed. Um, And since then, the world of alignment's moved on a lot. But we've worked out um, through research a lot of things that alignment isn't. I want to start with those. Um, The temptation is to do two things um, that that don't help as it happens. Uh, One is to have the marketing guy carry a bag with the sales guy for a week to understand what it's really like in the trenches. <laughs> um, what? Em- empathy
0: empathy doesn't develop as a
1: result of that? Um, they have some good beers. <laughs> I
0: was, I was but, asking it somewhat facetiously, yeah, but yeah, go ahead. You,
1: you, you bet, you bet. and I, I, I know where you're at. Um, I'm going to give you a, an analogy for that in a moment that I find quite helpful, but I'll come back to that in a sec. So that's one temptation. The other is to have the sales guy sit in the crayons department um, for a while and, and play with pretty colors to understand what happens in marketing. And, and I just think that we, we don't need to be each
0: other. Not that you have a point of view based on you're describing it as the crayons department, but go ahead. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, 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 I'm cheating here because I spent half my time as a sales guy and half my time as a marketer, so mm. I, I'm allowed to be rude to both. Um, but, but the reality is that we don't need to be each other. We need to have a single process that has clear handoff. And my, my favorite analogy, I haven't yet found a way to break it, is is the relay race, where the, the third runner doesn't need to run the race of the second runner. What they need to do is to be at speed at the time the second runner is petering out and have their hand kind of back behind them waiting for that second runner and just trust that that baton's going to be passed. Mm-hmm. Um, if that third runner is trying to run the race of so that second runner and looking over his shoulder, he's going to be real slow when he takes off. And I think the same for sales and marketing alignment. It's it's about having a single process they built together. That's kind of key. I want to underscore that. Built the process together. So, sales and marketing co-design the process. They each know what the whole process looks like and they're going to do their part of it. Um, uh, we, we looked at um, structure, what role that had, it had very little. We looked at um, uh, spending time getting to know each other and we found um, this will interest you Andy, we found that not only was that not one of the things that well-aligned companies had done, but in fact the poorly aligned companies were more likely to spend time getting to know each other than the well-aligned companies. Because? Because of the the, the relay race analogy. is okay. that? It isn't about sales guy needs to know how to write a blog copy. Sales guy doesn't. Sales guy needs to know that if somebody's read four blogs and they've downloaded a white paper, that they're probably worth talking to. That's what sales guy needs to know. So, and to your earlier point, uh, they know the signals that might indicate the conversation that ought to be had. That's what sales guy needs to know, not how to write the copy. Likewise, marketer doesn't need to know how to ask those penetrating questions, does need to know what issues should be surfaced with the blog that help the sales guy and what issues shouldn't be surfaced because sales guy says, whenever we get a prospect troubled about that problem, the second one, nothing happens. When they get troubled about the first problem, happiness. So we need to understand the end-to-end process, but not do each other's job. I
0: think. Well, and uh, these turf wars are seemingly never-ending between sales and marketing, now customer success, success groups. Excuse me. And in some respects, it seem to be almost becoming more intense because, you know, through automation and you know AI and you know the prog- you know, vast progression we're making with with you know bringing more intelligence and analytics into sales, marketing, and so on is is I think. People feel threatened to some degree, right? And so, staking out their turf and making it clear, you know, how much of the revenue they were responsible for, uh, sort of leads, at least I've seen, you know, to more of this infighting. Even though, again, you'd think they'd know that they work better together and get better outcomes together than separately.
1: We we spoke a minute ago, Andy, about process. Um, we we looked at in the most recent alignment uh, study that we did. Um, we looked at ten. Pardon me, we looked at about 30 factors, but we found 10 worth talking about. Uh, of those 10, though, there's probably three really, really worth talking about, and we've spoken already of one of them, which is process. And the the notion there is a combined process. So I wanted to spend a minute on that process bit before we sure. get into other pieces. The um, there, there seemed to be, for we, we looked in our first alignment report at about 1,300 companies. Uh, the more recent one, we had a deeper dive with a smaller number of companies, only 500 in the second study. Um, and we found that there's a really, um, really linear progression. Um, companies typically embrace sales process first, then they'll embrace marketing process, but they'll be different. Second and different. Then there'll be a combined process, single process that mm-hmm. sales and marketing line up behind. That's the relay race analogy, I think. Um, and then the fourth one, probably not surprising, is just an optimization of that single process. So getting really good data around what's working, what's not.
0: Well, let me ask a question, if I could, real quickly here is so for people listening, what was the sort of firmographic uh, you know, profile of the companies that you surveyed?
1: The uh, I referred to two studies, and the the firmographic was was a little different in the two. The first of them were the tended to be larger firms. I think average uh, average. Let me get the numbers right here. Um, Eleven hundred employees, give mm-hmm. or take.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, second study, uh, I think the average was uh, the average was smaller, and the spread was greater. So the average was circa five hundred employee companies. Um, the spread was greater in that we had less concentration just around a theoretical mean. There were a good number of quite small companies. In the research findings, we stripped out those who had uh, fewer than 50 employees Mm -hmm. and we we did that only because the topic is alignment between sales and marketing. And if there's two sales guys and one marketer, it's not that hard. It it just gets hard when you got a few hundred sales guys and uh, and 20 or 30 marketers. So we we stripped out the little ones from the study, but the the demographic was what um, uh, was more evenly spread geographically. We had a good spread, so I think we had a slightly disproportionate representation in the U.S. Something like 30 35 percent, which is a little higher than uh, GDP would warrant, um, but. Uh, good representation through Europe, not a huge number in Asia, um, but the Pacific, where, where I live, um, probably uh, represented about uh, 15%, which again is disproportionately high and probably just because our, our own list uh, is disproportionately uh, uh, local.
0: <laughs> okay, so sorry to have made that interruption, so please go ahead with what you were saying before.
1: Yeah, it was just on process, Andy, um, and um, that that there is that linear progression, sales, then marketing, then together, then optimised, isn't perhaps in itself that revealing. What surprised uh, us enormously is what happened when you got better at process. Um, we, we expected sales process um, to improve uh, lead closure rates. So, you know, does a sales guy get better at closing a deal if you give them a better process, you'd think. Um, d- does a marketer get uh, better at creating leads that um, become more acceptable to sales if they have a process, you'd think. We found the flip, and I want to just dance on this a little bit because it's complicated. It's it's even confusing. Um, Getting a good sales process did not increase lead closure. What it increased was the willingness of sales guys to accept the leads from marketing.
0: So, okay, before you jump on, let's let's unpack those then. So, as I was reading that in the report, I was, you know, first question at camp is, well, why do you think that's the case?
1: If I've got in, a really in bo- good process. In both, process. Instances, in both yeah, yeah. instances. Yeah, And, I, and I, think, I think it does hold in both instances, Andy. If I've got a good process, I kind of understand more than one chess move. So, I'm thinking about, you know, seven and eight chess moves. And if I'm thinking about seven and eight chess moves, I, I kind of know the edges of the world. I, I know that I know the far left and the far right. I know the beginning and the end. And the beginning traditionally has been me tapping my network. I'm sales guy. Me tapping my network um, for people to provoke a conversation with. Um, maybe these days the beginning isn't that. Maybe a good number of the prospects self-declare and it's marketing who's handing them across to sales we hope for, for a good number of them. Um, and so I'm I'm more mindful of the whole process and therefore more willing to embrace leads. But particularly if, if we switch to the marketing process, if a sales guy respects the marketing process and it's not just marketing board a list did something to them and they handed me this spreadsheet and I had to do something with them. If there's more respect and more understanding of the whole process, um, then I'm more willing to jump on them. And I'll give you a, a, a quick example. There was a study published in the Harvard Business Review um, uh, some years ago now, I think maybe five, six years ago, um, and it was called The Short Life um, of a Lead. Yep. And it, it referred very specifically to how quickly you need to follow people up. And the, 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 the net, net, net is that if a, a prospect is self-declared as interested, sales guy needs to be on the phone right now, like not not tomorrow, not later this afternoon, but right now. If I'm a sales guy and I understand the whole process and I know that marketing's going to do these five things to get people towards our website and on the website, they're going to be offered this one really compelling Marketers would call it lead bait. It might be an ebook or a video Mm -hmm. or a survey. It's some kind of cool piece of content that's relevant for our audience. And and everything's going to lead to that. And when they've downloaded that, they're going to get this trigger email sequence of four emails. And the third one is going to ask this really tough question, whatever the question is. And then if they respond positively to that tough question, then they're considered a lead. Now, if I'm a sales guy and I know all of that, a couple of things are going to happen. One is that I'm going to read that asset clearly. Because mm-hmm. if the prospects read it, I better read it too. I'm even going to put myself in the in that trail so I can experience those emails. And, and if they answer the right way to that third email, and yeah, we're being arbitrary here with emails, but sure. the point is that there's some kind of magic moment where marketing says, if they do A, B, and C, then they're probably good to talk to. If I know all of that, then I'm going to know not only the topic of the conversation, but I'm going to know they're at their desk right now. And the fact that marketing just pinged my my mobile app um, CRM um, and said, call this guy now. He just did X. I better call him right now. And so if sales gets the whole process, they're going to be far more willing to accept marketing's leads. And the flip is true for marketing. If marketing gets the whole process through to lead closure, it's going to start measuring closure rates, not just opening rates or lead rates or click-through rates. Like, which of these campaigns actually generate closable deals and which of these generate just leads that are interesting but don't end up closing? Because the sales guys probably want me to do more of the first one and less of the second.
0: Well, their willingness to
1: accept the leads is based entirely on that. It, 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 It ought be. It ought be. Um, marketing's willingness to pass the lead across ought be as well. Um, you well that's, know, I'm that's, not gonna...
0: that's where I was sort of interested in the data. So, it, it, what you're saying is that businesses that invest in creating the robust sales processes weren't seeing improvements in the ability to close, but we're seeing improvements in the willingness of sales to to uh, accept the leads. But it seems like. If they're accepting these leads, that they're doing it because they see that they lead to closing deals. So I I was trying to say, you know, square that circle.
1: (laughs) And 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 I cheated by saying they ought because uh, we you know we we are all imperfect, and often a sales guy will be. uh, motivated by how close to closing the quarter they are and a whole bunch of other factors that marketing can't necessarily influence. Um, but to the best of our ability, if we've got a single process that marketing and sales kind of designs together, um, then then it, it's kind of evident that marketing is going to work on leads that are closable and it's kind of evident that sales is going to pick them up quickly when they occur. Um, mm. But, but When we looked at the processes in isolation, it wasn't it wasn't that obvious to it to us until we unpacked it a bit, as you're doing in these questions.
0: Right. So, and that's and again, just the last one on this one because you had other (laughs) other data points I was interested Mm. in. So, so you're saying that building robust, what you found in the data was building robust marketing processes. You saw a 15% rise in closure of late stage opportunities, but you didn't really see that. Improvement through the investment and in robust sales processes, and I, I again, I was you know, the trouble I have with a lot of data is we see correlations, but we don't really have a cause and effect. So it's like, okay, we sort of see these are correlated, but doesn't it make it meaningful or not. And so I was, I was really yeah. trying to dig to the bottom of that.
1: Yeah, and, and good point. And and to be perfectly transparent, what what the data told us and what we concluded later are, are drawn from separate pools. So what the data told us is there is a correlation. Um, and there's a correlation equally with training, and that is that if you if you train your sales guys more than average, so average sales training in the pool that we studied was four days, what happens if you lift that to, to, to eight to 10 days? Um, likewise, marketing, the average amount of training they got is three days. What happens if you lift that to 10 days? A- and training was kind of the same as process. What, to your point about correlation v. causation, is that what the data said is that When there is more training present for sales guys, it tends to increase the probability that they'll accept leads and when there is more training for marketers then their willingness to create or their capacity to create leads that end up closing improves. That is the same data that we found about process. So process and training both drew the same data. What is the cause of that? We had to draw to our, we had to draw in our experience rather than the data to try and answer that, and our experience suggests that in both the case of process and training, the reason why investing more on the sales side increases lead acceptance rather than closure is that once I've got my skills, I'm a sales guy, once I've got my skills to a certain level, pushing harder on training doesn't necessarily make me better at closing, but it might make me better at the, the whole process. Uh, Likewise with marketing, um, if I do a little bit of training and I have a little bit of process, then very probably I'm going to be okay at creating um, leads that get accepted because they're going to be in the right ideal client profile, Um, they're going to be given to the right guy, all of those basic hygiene factors. But if we go harder, and again, Andy, to be transparent, the data told me that this was present, there was correlation. The cause is is my experience rather than the data, um, but my experience tells me that the reason why on the marketing side going harder on both process and training doesn't necessarily lift lead acceptance, but lifts lead closure is because it makes me think more. If I'm thinking more about the whole process and I'm learning more deeply, I'm probably going to start to look at my campaigns more critically and say, gee, I've got four campaigns running them and one I'm running right now. And one of those campaigns is generating a whole lot of leads that the sales guys are accepting, good and good, but then they're not closing, evidently bad. And so as we get Deeper into process and deeper into training, marketers think more about the closability. Uh, whereas in the early days, it's just around can I get my click through rate up?
0: So, one of the questions that sprung to mind was I was reading this report about, yeah, the training increases uh, the probability that the MQLs will close is what sort of training is marketing getting?
1: Yeah, yeah. And we'll ask the same of sales as well, I think. Um, we we didn't um, find any reliable data. We actually asked that question, and the answers were not giving us reliable data. Um, in particular, we were asking about the difference between product and process. Um, you know, sales guy learns about new product. It is that training. I guess it is. A uh, sales guy goes off and does a sales process course from, we mentioned Milhahn before, them or one of the others, um, uh, different kind of training. Um, we did ask those questions, but the data wasn't reliable. Yeah, because I'm
0: still, you know, intellectually struggling with with some of the data points, <laughs> and so um, that's why that that question sort of sort
1: of came. Andy, I've got you at a disadvantage. I I, I had three weeks to struggle with that data before I got, got my head around it. <laughs> well, um, we, when we found the conclusions, it floored us.
0: Well, yeah, because there's several things that. That so one of the other things you you found, or one of your findings, was that increased sales training also increased how much of your business comes from new customers or new logos you said in the report. So again, that's sort of the question of what specifically were you training? Um because you know, actually, yeah, you could make <laughs> you could make it a, a priority and give direction to your team without training them to focus on new business development versus you know existing accounts, let's say. And you could potentially
1: have the same effect. Good, good call. And, and frankly, with a sample of only 500, you, you can get uh, 25 of those 500 that did what you just said, and they're going to skew the date. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So so yeah, we, we, we used the report or the study and the report that we produced from the study to raise a whole bunch of good questions to go explore. Um, but we really have to, as you're suggesting... Kind of dive into the individual company circumstance to work out what's going on.
0: Well, it's just, and this is not a criticism of the report, but a critique of the report. But it's just in general in sales now we have greater transparency, more data available to us, you know, either through research or just through the tools that that measure what we're doing. And you know, my concern is always, okay, we have this data point, but what really does it mean? Right, I mean, somebody sent me an article today about uh, the differences in close rates from female sellers and male sellers. And there's sort of four scenarios: women to selling to a woman salesperson, selling to a a woman decision maker, a woman seller to a male decision maker, male to woman, and male to male. And there was you know differences between those, but okay, great. There's a difference between them, but it didn't say anything about. What they were selling, what the price points were, you know, was it enterprise, small business, who the customers were, and so on. So, you know, the data didn't really, to me, it didn't mean anything, right? But, but we take those things. We tend to take them at face value, and suddenly the the narrative is going to be that, yeah, you know, a woman selling to a woman is going to be, yeah, you know, you'll make sure it's going to be the highest close rate opportunity, and a woman selling to a man is the second highest. So, it's like, okay, well, but is that really? True. I mean, it may very well be true, but but based on the data we're seeing, as you know, it's just an example of one. It's like, hmm. And that's sort of just my cautionary tale about
1: data. There's that cautionary tale, Andy, with which I agree. There's another about the bias of the reporter, exactly. Um, the, the, the the question structures. Um, what, what I think reports like this, and you know, we we all get to see a whole bunch of reports from different companies, all of whom have biases, uh, declared or not. Um, in our case, we were specifically looking at alignment and what were the what were the big lifters, mm-hmm. and um, there were some questions that might have been interesting, but but didn't help us get to that answer. And we're we're pretty confident both from the data and our analysis of it, and just our experience. I and mean, we've we've worked on something like five hundred alignment projects now around the world, twenty odd countries. Mm-hmm. Um, so so not a small experience set to draw from but even even with all that, we're going to get it wrong. Um, it, it's it's can we can we be asking the right questions, and can the data help us ask better questions? And I think what what we've concluded from this is that we need to continue to get really good at getting sales and marketing and and frankly, and finance and operations and customer support, Right, right. It, it, getting them in the room together. To design whatever their version of the process ought to be, so all the way from a name to a closed deal, um, what ought our what ought our process be? Mm-hmm. And you, you better get that built, designed, measured collectively, and that there's nothing in the data that uh, that, that gave me any um, disquiet um, about that assertion. I, I'm I'm confident in saying that. The, the companies that seem to have their act together on sales, marketing, alignment, ha- haven't uh, tried to be each other. They've they've respected there are different roles and they're all all key, um, but they did build and train against the process. They built it together and then they train against their piece of the process, mindful of the whole process, and they get in a room every now and then, whether that's monthly, weekly, quarterly, don't know, depends on the company, but they get in a room pretty often and they look at the whole end-to-end process mm-hmm. and ask, What's working? What's not? And they adjust the process together. Right. Uh, it, it's pretty hard to pick holes in that argument. No, um,
0: you, you. I don't think you can. So, really, the question for me that stems out of that is, you know, clearly these organizations, uh, you know, didn't have a handful of people wake up one morning with this epiphany and say, "Oh, <laughs> we we sh- we should be aligned." Is I don't know if this came out in the data, but. Yeah, I've interviewed numerous people about this topic in the last years is what you find in terms of what the driver was to make that happen.
1: What's causing us to have to to look at alignment?
0: Well, what's causing yeah, a company to wake up one day and say, yeah, we're out of alignment or <laughs> let's get aligned or or you know, it's an the CEO says, yeah, this is, you know, a cultural thing we need to make happen. I mean, what what are you seeing typically as what drives it?
1: I don't know that I have a good answer to that. I think it's the same uh, water cooler conversations that you've heard and I've heard and they've heard. Um, sales whinging about marketing, uh, marketing whinging about sales. I and mean, we, we, we work hard on marketing, but I'll give you a quick anecdote from our own uh, our own work just recently. One, one of my marketers just you know, threw her hands in the air at the end of a phone call and, uh, and, and screamed at the top of her voice. That they generated 15 leads for a pretty small company, and these were these were just beautiful leads. They were in the ideal client profile. Mm-hmm. They were unambiguously in a mode to talk. I mean, they they declared that they were troubled about the right problem through the through the their activities. They'd shown a high level of activity and specifically said, "I'd like to have a chat to that company," and the sales guys hadn't rang them because they were busy. Or their marketing leads, right? Yeah. So you know, it, it, even in company, and we 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 like to think that we work pretty hard at alignment between sales and marketing, and and even in our own company and with our own clients, we we see this behavior pretty often. Um, so what what is the driver for a CEO to want to spend more attention on it? I think it's people like you and I having this conversation. I think it's reports like the one that we referred to and others who have done some great work in in, in arguing the case for alignment. I think it's those water cooler conversations. Um, I, I, I feel like you'd need to be asleep at the wheel to not to not observe the disquiet that you you referred to at the top of the call.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And and I just feel it's a it's a it's a logical response to that. What um, what excites me is that the uptick for getting a single engine, a single machine, is, is real. Um, uh, we, we've seen um, lead acceptance go up by 30%. We've seen closure rates go up by closer to 60%, and we've seen the revenue that comes from new business lifting by 60% in businesses that planned their process and optimized their process together again you, you may well raise the causation and correlation i'm sufficiently confident that building the process together um, leads to goodness the data certainly suggests it our, sure. our experience suggests and so does your experience suggest that um, and i feel like if we focus just on primarily on designing building optimizing a great process that we all believe in end to end that that that's Really, the primary focus and the other things kind of uh, uh, become subservient to that, I believe.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree. All right. Well, Hugh, good conversation. Thank you very much for joining me. We're running out of time here. So, if you could tell people how to reach out to you, learn more about what you're doing, and as I said, connect with you.
1: Thanks, Andy. Um, probably the easiest way we, we've created something for your listeners um, they can go to Funnel Plan, that's funnelplan.com. Slash Andy Paul, so funnel com, funnelplan.com slash Andy Paul. And what we've put there is a, uh, a tool that they can use to design sales marketing. The reason I'm suggesting that way to get in touch is because it's all a bit academic if we don't kind of have a clear process. And so what we've done is we put something on that uh, at that link that will help them to build that clear sales marketing process together.
0: All right, excellent. Well, again, Hugh, thank you very much. And uh, friends, thank you for joining me today. Make sure you come back again tomorrow for another great episode of Accelerate. Until then, I appreciate it. If you get a chance, go to iTunes or any other place where you listen to this podcast and subscribe, leave a review for Accelerate. We want to hear what we can do to make this a more valuable experience for you. So, thanks again for joining me. And until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.